I believe that since all of us have shortcomings or issues or shadow in our own personal lives, that the only way you can draw close to people is to continue to talk and to communicate with each other so that you learn more about each other. Because the more you learn about each other, the more you understand people. You always live in the tension of hope because you believe things can and will get better. I'm a firm believer in what Paul says, that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. I hold on to that. No matter how bad, no matter how difficult, no matter how much trouble is around, I hold on to that because I believe some good can come out of the ashes. Hope, it's a theme Reverend Dr. Alvin C. Edwards often comes back to. He's a senior pastor of the Mount Zion African Baptist Church in Charlottesville, Virginia. I'm Umbreen Khan, and this is Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. We explore the beliefs shaping our world, and this week, we're going to take a look at how things have been changing in the American church. And that includes how many folks are sitting in the pews, as well as how some pastors are finding a new calling by creating a church in the wild, literally. Like many faith leaders I've come to know and interview over the years, Reverend Edwards feels called to serve both the congregation and the larger community beyond the walls of Mount Zion. What sets him apart? His engagement in public life. His roster of service is long, from local community-based initiatives to national networks to holding elected office. From 1990 to 1992, he served as mayor of Charlottesville, Virginia. These days, he's focused on building relationships and encouraging whoever will listen to remain engaged. He told me it makes a difference in ways you may not see. I spoke to him the week of the fifth anniversary of the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia. Shortly after the horrific attack on Mother Emanuel Church in South Carolina back in 2015, Edwards was concerned about white supremacy, the potential for violence, and how his community would respond. A chaplain of the football team here at UVA and myself got together and we called a few people together after that happened before the Unite the Right rally. I asked them, how many of you think I would have called you if this had happened in Charlottesville? Hmm. You know, some of them raised their hands. And I told them none of you. No, we knew each other from a distance. Mm. And it was predominantly Caucasians who were present. And we were gathered in my church's fellowship hall, you know, and we prepared breakfast for them until we had breakfast. And then we talked about that. And so when I raised that question and I told them, none of you, some of them asked why. Told them, I don't know you. Mm. I mean, I've been in this community now 41 years as of July 1. And. I don't know who you are. You know, we don't get together and do anything. We don't talk about the issues in our community. We don't share um, how we can deal with some of the challenges in this community. After that initial meeting, a new group began to form, the Charlottesville Clergy Collective. 
Two years later, those relationships and friendships translated into a robust and coordinated response when the Ku Klux Klan decided to march in Charlottesville in July of 2017. Prior to the Unite the Right right rally, there was a Ku Klux Klan rally here that was completely shut down because the people who opposed it were so loud and and wouldn't let them talk or what have you at their, their meeting. We had one of the most inclusive and diverse religious community groups in the city that was united by a desire for justice and for healing everyone in our community. Two months ago, the Charlottesville Clergy Collective led a walking vigil and interfaith service at Mount Zion. It was on August 12th, marking the fifth anniversary of the Unite the Right rally. They called their gathering, Unite the Light of Our Beloved Community. We want to make sure that we prevent harm and take a stand against the hatred five years ago. We want to acknowledge the trauma of what took place here and which continues to reverberate today. And then we want to recommit ourselves to shining the light of truth on our shared history while working together to fulfill Dr. Martin Luther King's vision of a beloved community. Mm. As you're talking about building this beloved community and you're talking about creating space to address the trauma Are the leaders who are engaging able to bring those who are perhaps needing to hear some of these messages? How do the competing voices of faith negotiate in the public space? Well, one of the things I'm a firm believer that there is no one institution or segment of society that can single-handedly address the challenge of racism. It calls for a level of trust. It calls for a level of collaboration. And and it takes multifaceted strategies among diverse populations and institutions and communities. No single strategy for healing racism. No one perspective on which we all can agree. But we can all do our part to bring about the beloved community. And whatever, whatever you bring to the table, you can share it as long as it doesn't harm anybody, but as long as it builds community. Mm. And what's the response been like in Charlottesville from the community? I've seen it grow among the members of the uh, Charlottesville Clergy Collective. One of the things that um, I've noticed since five years ago, I think there's a sensitivity present that wasn't there before. What do you mean by that? The Clergy Collective is more action-oriented. We target attitudes and we target injustices. And so, we like, for example, we have reading groups that read books that challenge our thoughts and our ways. We've had dinners where people would gather around tables, as many as 175, 200 people, from different uh, religious traditions in one place. And at each table, there was some conversation going on that had questions there where people talked and, you know, discussed things. And so I think we're a much more proactive community. So, I mean, I think it has created that sensitivity that wasn't there before. Yeah. After the Unite the Right, there was a lot of attention about the history of the Robert E. Lee statue and a lot of attention to monuments around the country. How did the Unite the Right rally change that? I think one of the things I've learned was the fact that I think you have to be careful about who you honor and especially people who wanted to keep African-Americans slaves. It sends a message that what they did was okay. And the truth is, it wasn't okay. 
the Charlottesville Clergy Collective grew from a conversation among a small group into a sustained organization, a nonprofit that's facilitating programs and organizing events. What are some of the key lessons that you've learned in creating spaces like this for a community? I think that with Dr. Martin Luther King, we must learn to live together as brothers or perish together as fools. If we're going to learn to live together, we have got to learn to talk and communicate with each other. People, if you don't talk, you don't understand what's going on. And I am convinced that the more we talk, I think the better we are. And I just think that's so true. I have heard over and over again, church is not inside a building. It is in a community. The mosque is not inside the building. It is service in the community, the temple, the Gurdwara. I mean, over and over, I've been hearing this consistent message, this sense of calling from a lot of faith leaders, especially younger ones. Yes. My late father-in-law, who's a pastor in Joliet, Illinois, he was involved in the community. And and some of the, my members say, we, I'm a community pastor, you know, because I, I, I do funerals for whoever calls me, it doesn't matter. And, you know, I'm there for when there's a disaster, there to help and to participate. And so for me, one's faith takes them outside the walls of the church. The work of the church is not inside the church. It is outside the four walls of the church. People are too busy being keepers of the aquarium rather than being fishes of men and women. That's where I am on it. This whole institution of racism, because it affects every institution we have. It poisons the structures, it poisons institutions, as well as the foundational assumptions of the United States. And I just, it was just something we need to be aware of and work to correct. Why is it so difficult? Well, people don't want to expose where they really are. You know, like some people say, well, there are no problems. You all have what you deserve. But then when you see people who keep, you know, like the number of African-Americans get killed by Caucasian police officers, there's a problem. I mean, I don't know how many more shootings we want to happen. I understand you're also working to address violence on the streets. I am trying to become a better steward of my time. I'm participating in a group called uh, the Buck Squad. I had a young man who got killed on our church's property Mm. uh, two or three years ago. And so I participate with them because these are a group of guys who said that they wanted to change because they were responsible for some of the stuff that's going on. Like some of them admit they sold drugs to some of the guys. They trained some of the guys um, do what they're doing. And so, Whenever you tell me you want to change your life, I'm going to be right there with you to to work with you to make it happen. Yeah, it sounds like it's directly responding at a very local level to the gun violence epidemic. What does the group name stand for? It stands for Brothers United Cease Killing. Mm, Well, they go around and we defuse uh, violent situations and shootings. One young man who's a part of Buck Squad, some guy put the gun directly in his face mm. and he, nothing happened, but they put their lives on the line to try to keep people from fighting and killing one another. Another incident, they had a young lady who was kidnapped, a girl that police could not find, and they went out and found her because they could talk to people and people would tell them things that they wouldn't tell the police Mm. because they're part of the community and people know them. 
And so they trust them. Do you find yourself having to make the case and explain like, yeah, I'm going to put my energy here in this group locally and not necessarily focus on what's happening 10 steps away? Well, one, I do take care of my congregation Mm -hmm. and I do try to do things that help us as a church to minister to people who are having an impact on the community as I do give my time and energy to them. There's like a through line there. It sounds like you're recognizing after the tragedy, Mother Emanuel, your response was to bring together a clergy group. And here you are five years later, drawn to another organization that's working at a very different level, but responding to violence. What have you learned from kind of turning these moments that for many turn people away, they can't engage You persist, you engage, you are involved. What does it do for you personally? How do you stay resilient? One of the ways is that I believe good can come out of any bad situation. I mean, that's that's what I hold on to. Even when I fail personally and individually as a pastor, I believe I can grow from that and become a better person. As one of those hymns of the church says, a charge to keep, I have a God to glorify. That's my goal. I live by this model that if I can help somebody as I pass along, if I can cheer somebody with the word or song, if I can show somebody they are traveling wrong, then my living shall not be in vain. I feel you preaching. <laughs> <laughs> Reverend Dr. Alvin Edwards has been pastor of Mount Zion First African Baptist Church in Charlottesville, Virginia, since 1981. His 41-year tenure is increasingly rare in American church pulpits. According to researchers, the average tenure is somewhere between six and eight years, and that may shrink even more in the years to come. Earlier this year, Barna, a research firm that studies Christian cultural trends, released a report that found that among pastors, 42% currently serving have considered quitting full-time ministry. What's happening and how are churches adapting? Those are questions that religion reporter Boz Montana tackles in his new book. That's coming up after the break. You're listening to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. Stay with us. Hi, friends. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. We're a national show, and we are a small and mighty team committed to bringing you stories and sounds from around the world that convey not only the diversity and the pluralism of our country, but the beliefs that are shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the ideas that sustain us and inspire us to think about where we are going. And that brings me to this question. If you value us, if you enjoy listening and appreciate what you're hearing, I want to ask you to take a moment to consider becoming a sustaining member 
of Interfaith Voices or make a one-time donation at interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. That's interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. Thank you, and let's get back to the show. <laughs> 